Welcome. We want our listeners to know that we have been thinking about you. These four learning educators have had you on our minds. In fact, we've had a lot of things on our minds. We were just preparing for our podcast today and we're just laughing together as a stress relief, commiserating together with um, the challenges that we're all facing and just being here in support, walking life together, the highs and the lows. And I don't know, Brianne, Carrie, Paula, before we launch into this first segment, anybody want to share a, a high or a low that we've been wrestling with or rejoicing <laughs> with recently? Uh, well, I don't want to bring the, the podcast audience down. So I think we all have enough lows to go around. Um, but I'll share. So practically speaking, we were talking and joking that grocery shopping has become quite a, I don't know, a dramatic act in our house. And I'm happy to say that I have toilet paper coming and I'm super excited that I will be able to stock up for a little while. I think the other thing on a more serious note um, is that I have recognized how grateful I am to have the contacts that I have with the folks that I'm working with on the podcast, the ladies. And um, I actually, off of uh, something that Brianne did, I actually um, invited our faculty where I work to a no agenda agenda meeting last night. So from eight to 9.30, like eight or 10 of us got together and it wasn't academic at all. We just talked and laughed and shared. And I'm just grateful for those moments because we, we just don't make time for those. And so, so that's something I'm grateful for. That's great. You know, Carrie, in, in all of us, in light of the ongoing ramifications of, of COVID-19, I want us to be thinking through what are the implications for us as learning educators? How can we learn in this new living, air quotes, if you could see me, that we are experiencing with our work, socialization, and learning mostly facilitated by technology? And I think we all have funny stories as well as those aha learning moments where our curves were pretty sharp and trying to figure it out. But we're eager to share with you our ideas and engage in conversation with one another as we sort of manage these unprecedented times. So this fourth podcast will be actually a series of four short podcasts where we're going to discuss the implications of social distancing for learning educators. And our topics are first, routines and flexibility, shared vulnerability and self-care, just fly the distance learning plane, and one size does not fit all. So with our first podcast, we want to focus on routines and flexibility. And we each have a different take on routine and flexibility to share today. And uh, Carrie, maybe again, start us with your ideas about routines and flexibility. Sure. Why are you coming back to me, Kristen? There are two <laughs> other ladies that could, could contribute here. Well, I, I, find it, I find it quite fun and interesting and will be on the edge of my seat to hear my colleagues talk because this is, I think for all of us, this is a tough one, routine and flexibility. This is not in my nature. If you know me at all, if you ask my partner, she'd be rolling her eyes right now. Um, and, you know, Kristen, back to your sort of notion about new lit new living and sort of lessons that we're learning i'm still a work in progress but what i'm starting to learn is i need to let some things go um i have been a stickler as a parent as an educator i like a neat house i like things in order and darn it i just don't have the mental capacity to manage all of that and that includes and the example i i brought um to this conversation was 
I think I've mentioned in a, in a previous podcast that I started out, of course, in, in perfect fashion. I started out with like gangbusters with homeschooling, <laughs> you know, nine to two, completely scheduled activities, constructivism at work, right, for our educators <laughs> out, there, out there. By week four, I was exhausted, <laughs> had done everything I could possibly do, and I was literally writing up the schedule. And as I was writing the, the morning schedule, I didn't have anything. And my daughter was sitting next to me and I wrote question mark, question mark. And she's like, oh, a mystery. And I was like, yes, it is. It's a mystery block. <laughs> so now we have this great thing. And of course, as, as educators and for folks listening, of course, that's something you should be doing, right? Like giving, I mean, we could go on forever, right? Giving students agency, giving them voice, et cetera. But the point is, I had to let go. I had to admit to my five-year-old daughter that I didn't have a plan and I in my brain had to be okay with that. And um, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm not completely there. I still have my moments, but I'm definitely getting there. So yeah, so I'm just trying to let go um, and create some more mystery blocks. Well, and, and Carrie, just taking off of that, I think it, it is a matter of balance. And and I'm finding as a K to 12 teacher, I, I have to balance like what I would love to do. You know, I would love to explore all these new technology formats and mm. platforms, but, but I have to stick to the routines that I'm used to in my classroom. And that's what the kids really like. And, and I was listening to a webinar um, that was put out by NCTM and it was Timothy Canald and he was talking about being good enough for now. Mm. And, it, and it really struck me because it wasn't a cop out. It wasn't like, oh yeah, that's good enough for now. It was more of, you know, to Kristen, your point, we talked last time about the productivity and the pressure to produce, you know, in, in this situation. And, and it's really this balance of, it's good, it's good, what you're doing is good, just go with it, trust yourself, and, and it's okay, it's not going to be perfect. It's not, I saw a quote somewhere that said, it's not the new normal, you know, this is, this is a crisis situation, and we're developing things, it doesn't mean this has to be the normal. That's right. Kristen introduced us to an author, Aisha Ahmad, a couple of weeks ago. She sent us an article and I've now followed her. I just, she has such great <laughs> writing and she's actually lived through really serious crisis in her past. And so she has not, not a pandemic experience, but some relatable experience, which is sort of nice because I think most of us are flying blind here. Um, and what she says is that we have to give ourselves permission to have a different routine. Mm -hmm. So um, don't try to make your days what they were before this. And when you start to realize that, it makes a difference. And for me, I've always been a morning person forever, waking up at four or five and just working before work is when I kind of get my best thought, uh, you know, work done and, and writing. But now I just, our whole days have, our days have shifted later. And just because my husband's situation and he's working late and then we need to have a glass of wine and deal with the day a little bit. And we're not getting to bed till too late to then warrant and really wake up. And it, I was fighting it for so long and I felt like I'm not being productive. This is not working. And her work, really gave me permission to just mm -hmm. let it go a little bit and to realize that I'm going to shift and it's going to be okay. And it has been so much better. And I shared this with my students recently. And just before this podcast, I got an email from one of them thanking me for that mm -hmm. uh, because she's like, I just needed someone to say that what I did before won't work in this way and that it's okay to come up with a new way. So mm -hmm. I think there's some freedom in that. And I love how this segues each of our thoughts in what I was going to bring to this is thinking about structure and routine. We just had a, a podcast by Dr. Stephen Pfeiffer, a, a well-known um, school psychologist in the Maryland area. And he was saying that structure and routine quiets down the amygdala, 
which is our fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. And that when there is sort of getting back to or creating this new sense of routine, it quiets down the amygdala. So we can have that internal sort of neurological calming mm -hmm. that has that then biological response of less cortisol or released into our body. Because we know that when we're carrying these high stress levels, we've got uh, a weakened immune system. It impairs our executive functioning, our decision-making. Um, so one of the things that we've been doing in routines and structure, ever since our child has been little, and our daughter is nine now, my husband and I take a walk at night. We have a big 100-pound golden, golden doodle dog, go Wrigley, Chicago Cubs, go Cubbies, and he needs a walk daily. And so the three of us plus the dog would walk daily. And as Elise got older, our daughter, we would then begin to carry treasure bags for her that along the walks, we would pick up different things and say, compare this rock to the other. How does it feel? Let's touch this tree trunk. Is it smooth? Is it bumpy? And so she would collect things for these natural treasure bags. So we were learning in the living. Part of our daily routine is walking. So now what do we do as a nine-year-old? We've got all kinds of language and learning happening. We're communicating during this walk. We know that language and learning are linked, so we talk, we describe, we ask questions. And I think one of the, the, the takeaways that I've learned from these walks is to model the I wonder. And I know we've talked about this before, but I think in our new routines and in our new structure, Carrie, that's what you're talking about with the I wonder. I don't know what the mystery block is. I wonder what we will discover together. Mm -hmm. You know, routines as, as Brianne, as you were talking about, your routine has shifted. I wonder what that will do to the family dynamics and having some conversations with your kids and the, and the family members. So finding that balance of the structure and routine, just a good reminder that physiologically, neurologically, it has a positive impact for us. And I think, I think it's, it's great for us too, like you said, Kristen, to have that routine, um, but it's good for our kids too. Early on in this, uh, when we went to remote learning, I sent a survey to my students and one of the students who was, you know, he's, he's fairly bright and he was doing everything and, and all of the apps were working and all of the technology that I sent, um, but his advice was, you know, maybe back down and just use one, you know, and develop that routine and do it well because, you know, we were thrown into it and we did try to, you know, do all the bells and whistles. And, and his advice was like, let's just do one and, and just keep it the same. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be way out of the box. It just has to be like you did with your child, that, that routine that's always been part of what you do. Yeah. I think I love also, and it could be connected across what, what everybody's saying is we keep using the word modeling and, and sort of, Kristen, I love the example of sort of the learning and the living, right? So incorporating, and Brianne, I'm sure you're doing this too with your, your daughters. It's, it's remembering that while I talked about the flexibility, mostly having to do with me, right? Like I needed to let go a little bit because I was stressing. The thing that I've also recognized and heard from others is that this is really good practice for our people who are around us like Brianne was saying with the student like not only are you giving them permission literally like talking about it's okay to do a routine but you're living that and um, I don't know if anybody's read the book um, Untamed by Glennon Doyle she talks about this idea of it being a not being a unilateral effect that when you are willing to come to the table and say 
I need to let go of something or I'm wondering about something and not having the answer, what you also do is like in a snap, you're like opening that door for the other people in the conversation. So it makes it sort of a more multilateral um, exchange. So I, I think it's important that we not forget that as we're um, engaging in self-care, we're also promoting sort of, I don't know, care of others, right, at the same time. And I think to me that's been really powerful to, that it's, if you have trouble doing that, to remember if you're not doing it for yourself the first time, do it for your students and your kids and your neighbors and your colleagues because they need a reminder just as much as you do, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, so many of, and it's a great reminder, Carrie, because so many educators are female and so much of the workforce continues to be in education, female dominated, at least at the K-12 setting. I know it's a little different in, in higher ed, but when we model that for our students, we're modeling that for our children, um, it's a wonderful um, example to follow. And if we go back to what um, Dr. Stephen Pfeiffer was saying, and no pressure here, ladies, but the mom's mental health sets the emotional tone for the family. So uh, to the degree, uh -oh. right? <laughs> if you could see our faces now, we're all Don't sort of eyebrows up to good. our head. <laughs> yeah, so, so you know, females in the classroom, we're setting the emotional tone for how the individuals in our world world are responding to us. So giving ourselves that those mental health breaks, self-care. Um, and in fact, that's what our next podcast is going to be talking about. So let me just see, are there any other wrap-up thoughts for this first mini podcast on routines? And did you notice we added flexibility? There was intentionality with that. Okay, so we're going to transition in a moment to our next podcast. Hang tight. We're ready to come back to you with the next thoughts. Okay, podcast number two. This one's titled Shared Vulnerability and Self-Care. So for our listeners, how can we as learning educators help ourselves, our students, avoid social isolation in the midst of social distancing restrictions that we are facing. So how can we both experience and promote shared vulnerability? Paula, any thoughts with that? Oh, great. You get to start <laughs> off with me. Um, <laughs> I, well, I'm trying to organize my thoughts. So I had so many thoughts about this podcast. I was all over the place. And then I'm, I'm trying to pin pigeonhole it into these discussions. So now, she's now she's delaying. Now she's delaying. I am delaying. Now. Um, so, so one of the things I thought, and I'm not sure that this is self-care, but it's certain, certainly uh, shared vulnerability, and maybe it is self-care. You know, one of the things I thought about going into this podcast was, you know, most of us had been, have been educators at some level for, for a you know, number of years. And one of the very first things we talked about going into this podcast was how do we shift that thinking from being a teacher to being a learner. And I thought about how real this is as a learner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I haven't experienced learning in the, in the sense that I used to for a very long time. And, and now it's like I am learning something brand new while I'm teaching. And, and it, it's this issue of being connected to my to my. Um, my colleagues being connected to you, the four of you, and uh, be, being connected to my colleagues at school and, and really making that a priority. Um, I know one of the things that a lot of my colleagues were 
most nervous about in going to this routine was the technology. And um, we didn't have any time to prepare for it. And, and we have a range of you know, new teachers that have used technology in the learning environment um, throughout their educational career. And then teachers that weren't sure how to spell YouTube to access mm -hmm. YouTube videos. You know, so the range was huge and the expectations of the district to try things was really overwhelming. And I think just being able to connect with each other and admit like, here's where I'm having trouble. This is what I need. And going back to those key things that we talked about as being a learner educator and reflecting at the end of each day, um, you know, really going back and saying, how did it work and treating it as a true learning experience. Um, sometimes it's, it's, you know, when you're reflecting, you can, you can really kind of get depressed. I had a student that made a comment about one of my videos and, and at first I'm like, wow, that was really hurtful. Like I felt really, really, you know, sad about her comment. And then I thought, well, use this as a, a learning opportunity. How can I improve for the next lesson and what can I do? Mm -hmm. um, Timothy Canald in his speech again, um, talked about four quadrants and he's a math educator. So it's like the Cartesian coordinate system that you would imagine. And in quadrant two, he said, that's where you need to live. And ironically, going back to what we've talked about in our last podcast is quadrant two is when you're reflective, you're serene, you're relaxed, you're tranquil. And that's when you get enough positive energy mm -hmm. to move on to your next lesson. Well, Paula, I'm glad you said those last bits because I didn't get the first bits. So I felt like I could at least jump onto the conversation now because I was like, I was drowning there for a second. So, um, so I'm going to sort of glom onto the, your idea of connecting with colleagues because we often say that sort of the three most important words in certain sectors is location, location, mm. location. Mm. And I would actually say it's connection, 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 right? Um, and, and that's been tricky sometimes because as Paula, as you mentioned earlier in our conversations we were preparing, you know, we jump for check technology, but not everybody has access to technology. I have a student who's in Utah who works with a, with a, a school. They don't have any internet service. They have no cell service. So the teachers are mailing packets every week. And so figuring out how to, to make those connections is, is really critical. I think we can do it. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes, I don't know what your experience has been in our audience experience. I have a little bit of frustration filled mostly with empathy, empathy and kindness for our teachers because I know we're in triage. I have a little bit of frustration of throwing the technology ahead of everything. I want everybody to just pause for a moment and think like, what's the easiest way to connect with and then fill in the blank and do it that way. Like, don't let this technology driven context drive your decision, right? Like if it means picking up the phone, then just pick up the phone. Like I have a friend who sent little notes to all her students. I have another, I have a cousin who called all of her students. That's perfectly fine, right? The point is connection. Um, the one other thing I would add when we're thinking about connection is I wrote a blog last weekend or last week and um, I was talking about natural connections and this idea of reconnecting with our physical space. Like I'm a big runner. I love to get outside and I don't think I quite recognize how important those connections are. And this will sound a little cheesy, but I'm going to say it anyway. But literally the act of running with a headwind going up a hill, it's almost like I'm in conversation with nature, right? Dialoguing back and forth to get up that hill and then, and then sprint down the hill, you know? So like just, I would encourage people when you're having a moment where you maybe can't reach a human being, 
get outside, like go to go find a tree or breathe the air or find the sunlight or I'm serious. Like it's not the same. I get it, but it's still a connection. And Carrie, I'm going to tag off of that because my thoughts about self-care were the ideas of grace and space. So let me start with space. Many of us are living in tighter spaces now with more people occupying those spaces. So, you know, I love the thought of being out in nature, headwind, you know, experiencing that. But for some, these tighter spaces with more people in it can become like these trigger points. So helping us to say what become self-aware of, what are those trigger points for the frustration or the arguments and thinking about strategies ahead of time, like as simple as from eight to 9 a.m., the kitchen is my territory. Don't come in it, this is my space. Or if you've got multiple kids at home you're, and they're sharing a bedroom, you get the first half an hour, stay out, let them do their work and focus, and then the other one gets the next half an hour. But also in giving the space, give yourself the space to decompress. And Carrie, that's what you were talking about, to acknowledge the stressors and to find creative, positive learning spaces. So for me, that is sitting on the back deck, hearing the birds, just having that time to contemplate and, and um, being outside in that space. But then this idea of grace as well. And Paula, you talked about being disappointed when you heard feedback from one of your students. I think that was your first step in acknowledging the disappointment that I recognize. I was disappointed with that feedback, but then saying, you know, I'm going to learn from this or mistakes are going to happen. And so rather than getting frustrated, you got productive and said, what can I do about it? How can I reflect on it and maybe change or reach out to the student in a different way? So I would encourage our listeners to give yourself, as well as your students, the grace and the space needed to manage these really intense days that sometimes can seem to drag on forever. And then other days, they're so quickly gone because the pressures of what you need to accomplish just seem magnified. I'm going to... I'm going to take that um, talking about your Kristen, you're talking about space and Carrie's location, location, location. I think there's so much vulnerability in our physical spaces right now. Um, you know, doing class from home is a really weird experience, whether <laughs> it's your kitchen or, you know, your office, or your bedroom or wherever you are. And I know that some of my students have been forthcoming and sharing their discomfort with that. Uh, and Nicholas Casey wrote an article in the New York Times a couple weeks ago talking, the headline was college made them feel equal. The virus exposed how unequal their lives are. So when you're on campus, you're, you know, living in dorms, eating in the dining hall together. And then there's this sort of uniformity of the living experience that's gone and shattered when we are expecting people to zoom from home with the video on. Mm. And you can see, you know, just different environments and everything in the background. And so that was really eye-opening to me to just be, it forced awareness of that. Um, and I appreciated that sort of like different consciousness of, of the students learning experiences that they can't focus on the science or whatever it is that we're trying to teach. If they're just thinking of what are they noticing over my shoulder or what are the, or what are the students observing of other people's environments? Um, so yeah. that's, that's one thing. I also think I've tried to just capitalize on this rawness of the space as an opportunity for levity and connection. Like my dog is crazy, um, period, but especially with delivery, um, you know, okay. deliveries coming all the time. And of course there's so much Amazon and FedEx and everything coming around these days. And the other day I was teaching and he went berserk and he's 12 pounds. So he has that like high pitched yap that drives everybody nuts. 
So Amazon came to the door. I was teaching. The dog got out, tried to get into the Amazon <laughs> truck. And the girls are like, the slime ingredients are here. I hate slime. I've always hated slime. This has been an officially slime-free zone <laughs> until COVID when they had Amazon gift cards. And they're like, can we please buy uh, Elmer's, buy the gallon and all this stuff? So fine. So they bought it. I'm like, this is the perfect storm. And so I just stopped teaching and just shared what was going on. And it was awesome. Everybody was laughing. You know, people were sitting up and, and engaged. And that's just the realness. And I, there's no way I could have recreated that moment in the classroom. No. And it was a really nice, authentic and fun connection. Um, and then they asked about the slime and the dog and, and that sort of thing in subsequent classes. So that's really, that's really cool, Brianne. I, lo I love that. It made me remind, it, it reminded me of a conversation you and I had the other day this idea of connection. Also, we've been talking about shared vulnerability, that I think one thing as educators, I think we're really mindful of related to what you're talking about being home now, is that this is a shared vulnerability, but the way in which we're all experiencing this pandemic is really different. Yes. And so when I'm entering these spaces with my students, I definitely think there are opportunities to talk about this rawness at the same time being mindful that I don't know what it looks like for you. I want to know what it looks like and I bet you, and then we realize we're all feeling stress and anxiety and worry and, but it, but that even that worry is a different worry. Right. And so yes, for sure. I don't like when our leaders say we're all in this together and it's leveling the playing field and blah, 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 you know, cause we know from the statistics, that's not, not true at all. And so I, I'm sure the folks listening understand that. And I think we as educators particularly understand that. So I just, I think I just wanted to say that when we say shared vulnerability, it's an acknowledgement that even the shared vulnerability is, is diverse in its sort of manifestation, I guess. Well, and, and it's interesting. I, I read a, uh, an article and they defined vulnerability as the opportunity to connect and that was their definition nice. and you know I, I think it's hard and again going back to the modeling it's hard for our students to do that I was one-on-one -on -one with a student the other day he called and asked if we could zoom for help and it was like my success of the week at yay someone reached out <laughs> um, but he you know I said besides math like what else do you need what else is going on what else you know how's it going and he really almost couldn't even verbalize you know what he was experiencing and, and they yeah. don't have that opportunity you know as much as we might think that they they do yeah. paula i love that your statement can you restate it vulnerability is an opportunity what did you say opportunity or, to connect to connect yeah. you know part of our podcast is we usually leave you with the last word and i think i think that was a brilliant last word for well, this i'm done here right? <laughs> then you you are <laughs> done drop it drop it and go so we're going to transition to our third podcast Welcome back to all of our listeners. I hope you've joined us for the first two mini podcasts we're calling them. Our first one was on routines and flexibility. We just wrapped up discussing shared vulnerability and self-care. And now we're moving to the practicality of just fly that distance learning plane. So how can we as learning educators support ourselves and students as we experience distant learning opportunities and challenges? Brianne, what thoughts do you have? <laughs> um, thanks, Kristen. So I have two thoughts about that. One is that I just finished my online classes this week. So I feel like I have this a little bit of a, of a post action reflection lens here. Um, and I would say 
while you're building and flying this plane to in general anticipate a lot of discomfort punctuated by unexpected moments of greatness mm. so um you know there are there are moments of connection that you don't anticipate or there are questions that students will ask that you don't anticipate um, something I never anticipated was that my student's mother would join class uh, because she was so interested in what was going on. She sat next to my student on the couch and I thought, oh gosh, this is really uncomfortable. Uh, but it was great. She had such a warm face and that really matters by Zoom, you know, because I'm looking, I'm like, is she a nodder? Is she going to nod with me? And she smiled a lot and it's, she seemed very pleasant. So um, that was an unexpected moment. I mean, generally just felt uncomfortable because I was wanting it to be good enough for the students and for them to learn and not give them too much to learn and to find the right balance. I was pretty stressed during the whole thing. Um, and then when we had those breakthrough moments, it was, it was always really appreciated. And the other thing that I, that I figured out along the way um, is, is the value of keeping it real. Mm. And for me, that meant in our field of, of speech pathology, how, where are speech pathologists on the front lines right now? And my background is medical SLP. So I have a lot of friends who are working the front lines in ICUs. And so I reached out to them. And several of the classes over my last few weeks, I brought firsthand accounts from them. These are the types of patients I'm seeing. These are the challenges I have. This is the unbelievable teamwork. You'll never believe what's going on here, you know, in a, in a good way. Um, I taught about ventilators. I don't typically do that in an undergrad, but you know, I thought you have a background in respiration. We just did that in anatomy. Let's talk. This is where the tubes go. This is how it works. And there was power in that. They re the students really were engaged in those conversations. And then, you know, as I was kind of thinking about it for this podcast, I can't say that theory drove the practice because it was more just an impulsive move that I thought this would be a good thing. But Brown and colleagues, you know, probably would say that's a good example of situated learning, right? And, um, you know, providing that real context and authentic activity that those things facilitate learning. Of course, we can't bring these students to the ICU, but I have a lot of great videos like that are coming out daily about the challenges that healthcare practitioners and even speech pathologists specifically are facing with, with patients who recover from COVID. So that idea of um, anticipating discomfort and, and having moments of, of breakthrough and greatness, and then also just keep it real, like keep it authentic, go with the news and, and relate it to your, to your work if possible. Yeah, that's nice, Brianna. I, I think this, in a way, relates to the first mini podcast, if you've been listening to them in a row, this idea of this need to sort of, as I was saying, let things go um, and keeping it real. And if you think about the word triage, because that's really what Paula sort of started us out with, this isn't sort of the new normal, this is we're in emergency. And triage is all about identifying the most important people or things that need our attention, right? And so as educators, I feel like that's that's what this is, right? We are, we are literally building and flying this, this plane. And so again, back to Brianne's point, it's our students come first, we and our colleagues come first, and then it's sort of stripping down the courses, those requirements and saying, what's really most important here? And, and I'm hopeful just as an aside, I really am like crossing my fingers that when we do after action sort of reflection on all this, that we pay really close attention to what we were willing to give up Ooh. as educators during this crisis, because I think that's going to say a whole heck of a lot about what matters in learning and in schools. And I really hope we don't forget that. Um, 
And yeah, and I think I just had, we're still, we still have a couple of weeks left, but I had our final sync session the other night. And I really just said to the students, these are doc students, mostly educators. So all of them, they're not in the, on the front lines from a health perspective as Brianne described, but they are because they're managing schools closed and stuff. And I just said to them, I'm just really grateful that you guys stuck it out. You showed up, you were enthusiastic, you've been honest and we have shifted deadlines and like, it didn't matter. Like they got the work done. And so I think, you know, a couple of things takeaways for me is this isn't the no, the new normal. We're going to move through this and something, some, we're going to come up with a better plan, right? From all the, le the learning. This is just to manage the emergency situation. And the second thing is I just really hope it's highlighted what really matters, um, especially from a learning, I mean, life in general, but really from an education standpoint, like what really matters. So, yeah, and what I think, oh, go ahead, go ahead Kristen, go ahead. Well, I was going to say what really matters, what resonates with me is because you're talking about purpose, taking us all the way back to what is our purpose as learning educators? What is our purpose in learning? And, and for me as a learning educator, what helps shape my purpose is the beliefs that are the beliefs that I hold. And, and so I hold the belief that all learners are capable of learning, that all individuals are modifiable and adaptable and can respond to their environments. And for, for me, those beliefs help shape the values that I hold. And the values are caring for individuals, seeing them as individuals, celebrating diversity. And for me, those values are the guideposts that sort of keep me on this, this traveling of the road of where I'm going and the purpose and the focus that I have personally as a learning educator. And then as I'm working as um, an instructor, training educational therapists to be able to work one-on-one -on -one with students who learn differently, or thinking about being a, a running a nonprofit organization that supporting educators, what can we do to provide resources for them? So we've been committed to doing Happy Friday email, where we're sending out resources on Friday that tries to brighten our educators' work, give them more tools to use in their toolbox, something pleasant to think about, to share with their families. And so I, I would just say our beliefs help us to create and shape our values, which then are going to really enable us to lock and load into this purpose of education and learning and, and being a learning educator. And I think, I think Kristen, our, you know, our beliefs as teachers, and we've talked about it in all of these little mini podcasts, is the idea of connection. And I think we all feel strongly that students need to connect too. And, and one of the things that they're warning us about in the mathematics literature is, is not to fall back to just knowledge transfer. And that's what sometimes happens with, you know, these situations where you're just posting videos or posting things for the kids to watch and, and not giving them an opportunity to connect. And, and really in terms of flying the plane, you know, we have to think about those one or two, they, they said, think about the one or two key standards that you need to get across before they go to the next year. And a lot of times we connect, you know, I find that I'm connecting with my colleagues that teach the same course as I do, but they said connect vertically and, and see, ask the teachers next year, what do you, what do you need them to know? Mm -hmm. What, you know, what do they need to get out of this? So, you know, it sometimes feels that we're driving the plane, we're building the plane and we're trying to fix the plane, you know, and, and do everything at the same time. And, and we look back at education reform. I remember reading, um, the Tayek and Cuban, Cuban. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and how everything was just a band-aid and 
you know, not that we, it's so broad. And, and sometimes I get lost because I'm thinking of how would I do it next year? What would I do differently? I need to connect with these people. I need to connect with those people. Um, but if we can maintain, again, going back to that routine, and then just branch out a little bit to think about what this might look like in the future and really have those kids at the center of it, you know, make them kind of the, the co-pilot there. How are we you know, flying this plane in terms of what they need, not what we can do as teachers, but what they need. And that's one area I know I need to look at is, is trying to get ways of these kids to connect, because that's what I believe strongly in terms of mathematics education is it doesn't come from me, it needs to come from them. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's a great, I love that, Paula, the, I'm thinking about this whole flying the plane, repairing the plane, and I'm thinking about when we do upgrades to the plane, and I would say novice pilots, perhaps, they, they like, forget their training and they're looking at the instrumentation, right? And so the thing that's, again, sort of I've been wondering about is what I have noticed with our teachers is if I have a conversation with a teacher and I've, and I've been struggling with my son's math, full disclosure, if I have a conversation with a teacher, the teacher will say, if we're like, we're working on a raise right now, if anybody cares, I don't anymore. I'm tired of them. <laughs> <laughs> but if I talk to a couple of teachers, they'll say, well, if you don't want to do the worksheet, do, and then they have like five ideas. And so it occurred to me that like, instead of sending my son home with a Chromebook, which don't get me wrong, is amazing. I, I know that I, that is from a place of privilege that I am saying that, so I want to acknowledge that. I think though, our teachers know their stuff and I want in on that. So send me a box of manipulatives and tell me like, Throw the, you know, throw the block, blocks on the floor and have him do this with this whole number. It, I just feel like the technology is getting in the way of the natural instincts and expertise of all these amazing teachers we have. And I don't know how to like make them feel more efficacious because they're, mm -hmm. they're so good when you have a conversation. But when you tell them they got to go on Google Classrooms and they got to go, they got to go in the plane, right? They got to use the new equipment, the classroom, the Zoom, whatever. They just like, I can see, because I'm in the room with my eight-year-old, they're frozen. Mm -hmm. And so I wish we could help them, I don't know, just recognize that. Well, and, no, and no, I'm oh, go ahead, Paula. Go, go. go. I, think I, I, I was going to take a, a left turn, so you go. <laughs> I read an article, um, uh, it was a, a new one out of um, uh, China about how they responded in their, their ministry of education in terms of this thing, because obviously they experienced it first. And that's the first thing they said was that you need to just, talk about authentic learning, give these kids all of the resources and help them become learners. And it don't just, you know, go back to the empty vessel and filling their brains, but really give them the resources. And, and I do think it's difficult to do. I mean, I know when I meet with um, the little group of kids I work with and I try to make it hands-on as possible, I just want to reach through the screen and show them what to do. And it's really hard, you know? Um, so hopefully it won't look like this forever, but, but uh, that's a great idea. I wanted to just put a positive spin on it. So in my context, um, final exams before COVID were pretty rigid. It was demanded essentially that we do a summative final exam on a particular day during a particular time period. And with COVID, of course, things have changed because it's hard to ensure that people aren't looking things up. So um, they've encouraged different types of assessment, which I've been asking for for a long time. And now they're saying, yes, please do essentially whatever you think will work is, is fair this semester. And so I had the opportunity to develop these projects that I had been thinking about for a while. 
and I asked my chair, do you think that we'll be able to do this again next year? Do you, you know, if they're successful? And she said, absolutely. She said, I think that this is going to change things. So mm -hmm. um, as you were talking about feeling constrained by things like Google Classrooms, that that's, it's been a little bit different in my experience on the higher ed side. Um, I think there's less restriction. I think they're like, just do what you can do um, and consider new ideas, which I've enjoyed that freedom. Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you, Brian, because I feel like, because I'm in higher ed as well, I feel like there's been that sort of permission to be flexible. Yeah. I do think going back to Paula's point about standards and accountability, I think that's a reflection of for sure. te teachers just can't, even though, I mean, in Massachusetts, they've waived the test, they've relaxed the Department of Education standards, but I think it's a mindset that takes a little while to shift and that's what they lean on. So I think that perhaps that's what I'm seeing in some of the experiences I've described. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I think some parents drive that as well, because certainly being the parent of a third grader, I've heard other parents chattering saying, where are the worksheets? We've got to keep them busy. Where are they, you know, how are they staying active? And is the school really still teaching them as much as we are, you know, in our case, you know, paying for private tuition. And so mm -hmm. there's that challenge too of our, our expectations as parents. That's why we go back to living in the learning and learning in the living. I mean, you're just right there in the moment, um, you know, build an array with macaroni noodles and, you know, right. whatever you find in your kitchen and discovering those, those opportunities. Yeah. No doubt there is challenge flying the distance learning plane and what does it look like? But hopefully this triage time will take away some golden nuggets of real um, truths that we want to carry forward in the future, um, whether it's changing assessments or letting students be more of the co-pilot or incorporating more of the authentic learning experiences. I think that's excellent. So we're gonna transition, stay with us. We've got one more mini podcast to share with you. It could be our best one yet. <laughs> it's titled, One Size Does Not Fit All. We'll be right back. All right, if you are listening, welcome back. This is our mini yes. session number four. <laughs> we hope you've been tracking with us these first three. We've been getting some great feedback from our audience and listeners saying, Keep talking, keep sharing your thoughts, give us your ideas. We're in this together with you. It's encouraging, it's insightful, it's challenging. So we welcome any and all feedback. You are welcome to come on to the NILD website, give us your feedback there at the info mail, um, any of our podcast locations, you can also give us feedback as well. So this fourth mini podcast is One Size Does Not Fit All. So, We've acknowledged in these previous mini podcasts that technology may or may not be readily accessible to all learners for a variety of reasons. All learners we know have diverse skills, interests, experiences, and backgrounds. So how do we as learning educators leverage distance learning to maximize students' learning knowing that one size does not it all. And this is particularly challenging for me because in the world in which I operate as a learning educator, it's our focus to develop the thinking and learning of children who think differently. So automatically the population that we're working with are coming at it from different experiences, different backgrounds. And, you know, I'm probably butchering his name, but is it G or G as we're talking about sociocultural and opportunities to learn, made a really interesting statement that input does not equal intake. Mm. 
And just mm -hmm. because students have the same amount of quote unquote input, so the information that they're receiving, the experiences that they may or may not be having, it doesn't mean that their intake of the information is equal. And so one of the ideas that I've had about maximizing student learning during this time is to look for opportunities for shared learning. In fact, our school just invited us as parents to give um, feedback on a survey. And one of the, the items, the open-ended items I said was, can educators look for more small group learning opportunities so that children can really dig in with one another and explore these shared learning ideas? And I wanna give a shout out to Paula for the past, Oh gosh, as long as we've been as long as we've been out with COVID, five, six weeks, Paula has been working with Carrie's um, son, my daughter, and then three other children. And they range in age, in grade level, in skill ability, just doing some math with them. And so it's children from all different school settings, all different backgrounds, all different walks of life. But today, this morning, the session was going on and they're in a in a conference room and I hear laughing and running around and talking about find one half of the table and then I heard one of the students say she said a quarter not a corner of the table and so <laughs> all of these sort of shared learning opportunities are happening and so Paula I'm just so grateful that you have maximized and leveraged technology taking kids from literally all over the U.S. coming together in this small little group of five children and giving them these opportunities to learn from one another in authentic learning and so thank you but also just this like idea of one size doesn't fit all, being readily acknowledging as a learning educator that input does not equate to intake. Well, Kristen, first of all, it's my pleasure to do it with the kids. It's really the highlight of my week because um, they're so responsive. And, and I started my career in elementary and, you know, maybe that's where my heart is. They, they just are so responsive and they so eager to learn. And you know, one of the things in the work of my dissertation that I am really a big proponent of is, you know, learning through play. And, and you know, again, maybe we're not hitting every standard there. It's supposed to be a fun activity for them to really just learn to not fear but enjoy math. And, and it's something that I enjoy teaching them. And I was helping on the flip side of that, a college student last week, and he was preparing for a humanities exam. And in doing so, we were reviewing all the ages and the you know, literary works and the history of, of the different philosophers throughout time. And, and I got to thinking like, what are they gonna say about us hmm. and education through this virus? And what legacy do we wanna leave behind for you know, future generations to read about? And what I really think it comes down to is not the standards and not the content, but those non-cognitive factors, you know, and, and really thinking about the student and do they feel comfortable? Um, can we develop some self-efficacy for them to become independent learners? Um, and, and really in this new environment, it's just focusing on their needs above anything else. And, and I think that's where the play and the enjoyment comes in. And if we can teach them nothing else other than, you know, maybe how to access some resources, especially in the K to 12 setting and, and how to enjoy learning and not, not make it the chore. I know Dehane said in terms of mathematics, sometimes it's when they get to school math that they start to, yeah. you know, have a breakdown. And, and yeah. other than that, it's very intuitive for them. So just going back to that realistic play, uh, I mean, I think that would be a legacy I would want to leave behind. Yeah. And I, I would also echo Kristen's sentiment, Paula. It's been, 
it's been for me, not just gratitude, but almost a sense of relief because we are one of those schools that's getting a lot of worksheets. And I just know that that's not really what I want him to be doing. And so I'm like, yeah, but he's meeting with Paula this week. So it's been, it's been a real bright spot in his math training to like be having fun with you, which is great. Um, the input ver- the e- does not equal intake. I really like that one, Kristen, that one's sitting with me. And because what I've been doing is I've noticed as I prepare for a class or, or a meeting with students, I sort of usually have a checklist that I go through, whether it's mental or written down will depend on the day, of course. Um, but, a, but a question I've sort of added to my repertoire has been, what can they take in today? Mm. What can they really manage um, and I've done that when I've had to schedule meetings in the community, meetings with colleagues and with my students. Like, do we, are we really like, are we asking too much of them right now? What can they take in? And I think it's interesting because I've decided that's a question I should always be asking because we always have stressors going on. And so maybe asking that and then also investigating what does that look like, right? What kind of stressors do you have? So So as I think about what can they take in, the other pieces that have sort of come up for me is we've already talked a little bit about removing stuff, right? So that was sort of, that was sort of low hanging fruit because I'm a big believer in like you can cut out some things and get them to focus on key competencies or objectives of a course. I think the other thing that I recognized is, and again, I know this is in the learning theory with, you know, giving them agency and contribution and this is all about belonging, but I think I've really been intentional about providing the students a voice in the decisions. And so it's been, so I I had a sync session. I think I might've shared this with you. I had a sync session um, with some of the doc students midway and I could just sense something was off. Like, cause they're usually really enthusiastic and really talkative. And I was like, wait, what's going on? And they were like, well, we have two assignments due the same night. And I was like, all right, so tell me what you need. Right? Like, and they looked at me like, what? And so we had a conversation about how should we plan the, the due dates for these assignments? Because quite frankly, and maybe I shouldn't say this on a recording, but some of, these, some of these due dates are arbitrary, right? We just do it because we need them. They're building blocks or whatever. And so giving them a voice. And then the other thing I did particular to the pandemic is there's a final assignment in one of the courses and it's important because they need to sort of have that culminating experience. But I decided to let them decide what that looks like, right? So it's like a choose your own adventure. So it might be that they just, instead of doing a formal presentation, they call me up and we have a conversation. We have a Zoom session. They do a, a chat, a coffee chat with a couple of friends like in the class and talk about the topic of the assignment. So, so I think having voice and giving choices and of course stripping away and just rem, rem, reminding ourselves that you know the cognitive load is heavy right now and the, the emotional filters that are playing into that really begs the question of what can they take in and what can they manage. So Carrie, I think (laughs) I loved everything you said. And as you were talking about, you know, checking in with our students and what can they handle, um, that author that I had mentioned a couple of podcasts ago that Kristen introduced, Ahmad, she says that we need to ask that of ourselves Mm -hmm. as well, uh, which I think is probably appropriate given this sort of context of this podcast. What can we do today? And she said, you know, there are days when you just feel like you can't do a lot. So reach for the low hanging fruit, do some grading that's not so labor intensive, as opposed to trying to do some really analytical writing, you know, kind of thing. So I appreciated that. But thinking about our students, I agree with the power of choice. And I also think that 
one of the things that that worked was giving students different ways to not only complete a project because I did that as well, but also to engage and reflect. Mm. So for example, um, every class I tried to start with just some open air on Zoom, like how are things? I may just ask kind of a big open-ended question. Some students participated, some did not. Then I would another day do some breakout rooms and give them a leading question and put them in smaller groups and say, you know, when you come back, each group just throw a couple words in the chat and let's see kind of where everybody's feeling, what everybody's feeling. Um, or a video, like a flip grid, you know, a quick video, everybody do a touch, a touching base video, see where we are. Some students liked Google Forms, like a survey. Um, they responded to that better. And then on every quiz or test that I have done since COVID, I've always had some sort of reflective question. Even if it's like, what was the hardest part of this week or the, or the easiest part, highs, lows, um, how did you like this Google form? Like what, and students were like, thank you for asking because when you structured a question this way, I couldn't see what I was writing at the beginning. And it was like one big, long, you know, text box, which I didn't know because I, I didn't test it in that way. So really helpful information. So some of the things are, are small. And then one student said explicitly that she really appreciates that she has different opportunities to share um, and to reflect in different ways. So I think like Hartman tells us there are many ways of knowing. I just love that article. And I think that we can apply it in all different ways. Like there are many ways of asking questions. There are many ways of, of knowing what the students know and of inquiring. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. I love, I, by the way, I love that article too. I was yeah, so very good. happy when we decided to add it to the methods courses. Um, the other thing I would, I would mention about the one size does not fit all piece is um, we talk a lot about expectations and sort of, you know, growth mindset, of course, will tell us. And, and we know from the literature that setting high expectations and assuming that kids can do really well is, you know, leads to positive outcomes. I think, though, we have to be really thoughtful about how we set those expectations because a misalignment of those expectations can create cognitive dissonance and stress and anxiety. And so I think this has also made me think about when I say I'm setting expectations and I'm setting high expectations, what does that really mean? Because it, it's not a one size fits all. Like, so, so anyway, so I just think that's something we need to think about. And I think the other thing that I've seen a lot of in the, in the literature that I've been reading, mostly just the popular media, is leading and teaching and being with people with empathy and kindness. Um, and just knowing that like the way you're feeling is going to be different than the way I'm feeling. And even if we're feeling stressed, we may not be feeling it on the same day. Like I might be having a really good day and you're not. And so just or the vice versa, which is probably usually the case <laughs> after hours of homeschooling. Um, but just, yeah, I'm just, I'm even with like, you know, Kristen, you were saying in an earlier podcast about grace and space, right? I think it built into that is I'm really being, trying to be cognizant of, I'm upset with my partner right now, but I'm going to pay her some kindness and not say that because I know what's going on here. Like really being able to stop yourself. And like I said to you guys before, I apologized to my eight-year-old son this morning because I was having a day yesterday and I felt like I really came down on him. And I think that's, that's a good lesson for him and me. And so just, yeah, just everything we do should be, even when it's correcting and, you know, teaching lessons or sending our kids to their bedroom when we need to, doing it kindly and with empathy, I think mm -hmm. yeah. is important. 
And Carrie, I would I would add to that too what you were saying about the expectations that are realistic for each individual, mm -hmm. as well as and we've mentioned this in an earlier podcast, be a student of your student so mm -hmm. that you know what it is that's realistic. You're thinking about Vygotsky's zone of proximal development and what can you do to help scaffold them to that next level. They may not be able to independently do it, but with your help or a more capable peer, they can go up to that next level. So the more we're in tuned connected, have a relationship with our students and know our students, then we can come in with those, those expectations that are meaningful and reasonable for that student. And Paula, it goes back to you saying, have them be a co-pilot. Mm -hmm. Why should we think it's just our expectations? What are the students' own expectations? And you, you and our listeners would probably say, well, Kristen, sometimes my students don't have any expectations for themselves. Then part of you, the opportunity that you get is to help shape that with them, mm -hmm. to pull it out and to discuss it and explore with them and help guide their thinking to, to discover it. Paula, we're gonna toss you this last opportunity to have the floor. <laughs> What's the and no pressure here, because you know this is really four mini podcasts in one. So this final statement has to be like the grand slam of final wow. statement. Add up and to I, this point. Drum roll. Do I have a statement for you? Well, um, oh, here we go. So um, one of my favorite books from being in the EDD program. Um, was the Welcome to Your Child's Brain, um, the mm. Admit and Wing book. And I remember reading early on and has stuck with me since um, the idea of um, everything we do, everything we do either prunes or cultivates the connections in their brain. And, you know, to Carrie's point of putting things away, you know, what can we do without focusing on the cultivation piece. You know, we would never want to prune away something that they're going to need in the future, right? We never want to prune away something that is just different than what we expect it to be. So what can we do to cultivate? And I think really to wrap up all of ours, you know, what we want to cultivate is to cultivate, you know, that we have to be flexible, but we have to connect. Um, that don't have to recreate the wheel as we're trying to fly. Let's just fall back on what we know as experts teachers, you know, and what to do. And that if we really just focus on the student and just focus on their needs, um, things are going to be fine, you know, so it's really just focusing on what we want to cultivate in our students. Wow. Well said. That's awesome. I want to read that book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried about pruning. <laughs> I'm so worried now. I'm thinking, can I reattach no it? Can I reattach it somehow? Some yes. sort of gardening, gardening tape of some sort? Like, no, yes. It's called neuroplasticity. We yes. can come back yes. in. Back. All right. Grafting. You can graft it back on. Well, thanks, ladies, for just another really uh, time of enriching my own thoughts, challenging, shared ideas. Um, I know our listeners are going to be encouraged from this, and we want you to know that we're thinking about you. We plan for these times together. We want to be a resource for you. Feel free to um, reach out to any of us individually. We will include our emails in the next podcast blog that we release. So if you want to reach out and have an individual conversation, we welcome that dialogue and connectivity with you. Go out and have a, a day that just fills you up as a learning educator so that you can pour into others. Take care. <laughs>